Welcome into the Maroon Mike podcast. I'm your co-host, Andrew Miller. I'm your other co-host, Dan Faulkner. And we got a lot of football to talk about today because there is news that has taken place over the last week. A few topics that we're going to hit on. Um, but first, I have to ask, Dan, how crushed were you when you found out that Jacob deGrom is not going to be returning this season? I, uh, well, you know, this week one at the new job, I've been really busy. I've had meetings all day. I mean, I, I'm literally getting paid right now to sit in meetings. It's kind of nice, but also just insane. And I walked out of a two-hour meeting, walking back to my desk. I finally pull out the phone, just, you know, see what I missed. Blown up. People reaching out to me. People texting me. Are you okay? <laughs> you yeah, know, and, uh... and, and all the news. And I was like, what? I was shocked. So, yeah, uh, I hope maybe that this is the TJ surgery that, you know, fixes him for good and and he'll just be back to normal. And look, the risk was known. Uh, unfortunately, as an insurance salesman, you can't buy insurance with a uh, contract of a player, right, if he does get hurt in this scenario. So that's unfortunate. Uh, they took a big gamble. It's not paying off right now. So I am sad, though, if you're asking about that. I am very sad about the news of Jacob deGrom. Rangers are still first place, though, still winning games. They have an incredible lineup. So, like, they've been winning without deGrom, for what it's worth. Uh, but obviously, if you're talking about total potential of being like a World Series contender, that that's a big blow. Um, no, I obviously y'all know like Dan is a, is a true Rangers fan. I'm very much like a a sidewalk Rangers fan who occasionally shows up and like will pay attention. But I, I mostly like MLB cannot. Pay, I don't care until the postseason shows up. So I will if if the Rangers can keep it up even without Degrom, then you will see me claiming them later in the year. Uh, hey, but you're paying attention. That's what I like. I got someone I can uh, spam uh, uh, talk about the Rangers with. Well, like, I, I see the scores always, like, pop up. I, like, I check their scores for the games, though. I just don't tune in because, I don't know, I, I think it's well established on the show, my feelings towards baseball <laughs> most of the time. Um, <laughs> I do enjoy the sport, but I, I'm just sort of along for the ride in the regular season until it's actually time for things to happen. Uh, speaking of some baseball stuff, some rumblings that State could have a pitching coach announced very soon. Um, I know Rob Walton was the name a lot of people were circling in on, and for what I understand, he's still very much a candidate. But it's also it just on the few things I've read that Steve's been posting over on the message board. It almost sounds like he's. I'm not. I'm not trying to put words in Steve's mouth or anything. It kind of sounds like he's making a point to overemphasize that don't go all in on him and that there are these other names to look at, which kind of makes me think it probably won't be him. Um, but in, he also suggested he doesn't know if it's going to be happening as, as soon as uh, people necessarily anticipate. So, you know, we'll, we'll obviously – I, I tend to think by the next time we, we're on here next, we should probably have a pitching coach we can talk about. And uh, maybe we try to get Lounge on as our, as our true baseball guy to give us the, the rundown on what's going on there. Um, the only other thing I – I didn't put this on our notes, but I know Slade Alford goes in the portal, um, which was another one of those moves I think a lot of people were anticipating – um, a guy who had you know been a contributor but didn't have – I mean, he hit nine home runs, but didn't necessarily have the most consistent season. So uh, another guy moving on for an issue. Uh, but I did say it's going to be a football episode. Recruiting, something I don't typically talk about in the show, but obviously the last time we did a pod, we had live reaction to a commit. And since that point, MSU is getting hot on the recruiting trail, and it's kind of a, a story we got to talk about because if you go back just a few weeks ago, there were very real concerns – um, 
that I think I briefly mentioned on one of the solo shows. I don't know if I, I don't, I know I didn't go into it about where Mississippi state stood from a recruiting standpoint. They only had, I think like four commitments or something. Um, and it felt like all the momentum in the world within the state of Mississippi with the top prospects was Ole Miss. And they, the rebels had picked up multiple major commitments, including like three of the top five who are all, who are defensive linemen. And it's kind of like why on earth are D linemen committing to Ole Miss over Mississippi state, given everything we know about the programs. Um, and look, those guys, those players are still committed to the rebels. Uh, but you know, there was a lot of talks about what's going on, but then we have big dog camp. And all of a sudden it feels like the, the momentum has flipped. And we, we, we talked about Terrence Hibbler in the last episode of four-star def- defensive lineman, eighth ranked player in the state of Mississippi. He was the second four-star of the class had tons of big time offers, including Alabama. Since then States keep, keep, keep kept up the momentum. Um, I think, I believe it was Luke work was the next commitment they got. who was a three-star offensive tackle out of Tennessee. Um, 285, not a ton of high profile profile offers. I think he also has Purdue offer available to him, but 66285 is, is a kid coming out of high school. That's a guy that you think you can put on another uh, 20, 30 pounds, and all of a sudden you've got a, a massive lineman out there uh, to put out there on the edge. Um, obviously, you you want to shore up those guys, and State's done a good job developing O linemen over the years. The commitment I think that everybody got really excited about after Hibbler, three-star linebacker Fred Clark, a.k.a. Fat, which a Fat Clark linebacker, that's just Mississippi State just makes sense. This is a guy who was a committed to Ole Miss. And another one of those commitments that when it happened, people were like, why on earth is a linebacker committing to Ole Miss? You kind of feel like the defensive players in this state should be automatic, you know, for the Bulldogs. But goes to Big Dog, uh, he goes to Big Dog camp, decommits from the Rebels, and then like a couple days later commits to the Bulldogs, huge pickup. Uh, then the, the most recent commitment, athlete Xavier Gaden. He does not have a rating yet, six foot 190, could play running back or safety, but he sounds like one of those kids who's kind of a classic Mississippi sleeper athlete who's just going to blow up late and could really pl- uh, play either side of the ball, depending on what the Bulldogs need. Things have flipped. Your class is up number 30 in the country. A couple days ago, it was in the top 30. I know you expect to recruit, you know, ultimately recruit a little bit higher than that, but that's kind of the range where Mississippi State typically is. Feels like we're starting to get back into a decent place on the recruiting trip. Yeah, it, 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 it was always going to come through, right? Everyone was a little bit worried. Uh, and and that's the reason you have these kinds of camps, right? Like like the big dog camp, and why you have them to to get guys on campus, get them to see things, uh, put it more into perspective, get them a chance to commit. And obviously, you know, it's just just commitment right now. I hate to say it, but like you know, in today's day and age and everything, like don't really mean a whole lot till they put pen and paper, pen to paper. But even then, not quite a guarantee. But it's good to see that you are getting uh, some new faces who will be coming to campus a year from now. I'm I'm excited to see it. You know, it's only the beginning. It's early on. You're able to. You're still able to get flips, right? Getting a flip is a big deal uh, to prove that. Hey, look, like you you can't you can't just go get guys who are uh, uncommitted. You have to go get someone who you have to go after somebody who is committed to someone else, right? Um, you know, make a point, make a statement, uh, and that's the thing with with Clark there. So. It, Long time coming, but it was it was always going to blow up at some point. It made sense right after that camp. Yeah, and you talk about going for players who who are currently committed. I mean, um, I, I know one player that State's still very much you know you know pushing hard for is Noriel White, who's committed to Arkansas out of uh, Ocean Springs. I mean, that's an athlete who it sounds like State's still very much in the game for. Um, and you've looked, they're picking up momentum elsewhere. J.J. Harrell is the third-ranked player in the state. He's, that's a wide receiver out of North Panola. 
committed to Tennessee early in the process, he's decommitted. And, you know, apparently it's very much 50-50 proposition as to whether or not he he's a, a, a rebel or a bulldog. But State's starting to pick up some momentum there. And part of that, Braylon Burnside, Stonka, out of uh, Starkville, sixth-ranked player in the state, uh, you know, listed as an athlete, I think most expect him to play receiver. Apparently his relationship with Chad Bumpus is, like, fantastic right now. And that's huge. Like, look, if you're Mississippi State, you got a four-star player there in Starkville at wide receiver. After what happened with A.J. Brown, you can't lose Burnside. Um, you know, I understand, you know, players leaving Starkville and going to Oxford isn't completely new. Like, you had Luke Altmyer a few years ago. But that was a very different situation because if you were State, you had Sora Robertson committed, who was a higher-ranked quarterback um, and was probably a more natural fit for what MSU was going to do offensively at the time. This is one of those situations where big-time receiver talent or, you know, even if it's, you know, athlete and he plays another spot, there in your backyard, you want to get him. But it sounds like his relationship there with Chad Bumpus, who, of course, that was a big part of hiring Bumpus, is because you know it's a personality and a guy who knows his program and can sell this program. It looks good. Uh, you've reached the top two for cornerback P.J. Woodland, who's a four-star. Uh, LSU is the other program that he's, you know, finals for. Top four for a four-star corner out of Florida and Cameron Keys, although it does sound like Vanderbilt has momentum there, which – that was one of those things, like, when I was looking through this, like, Vanderbilt has momentum with a four-star out of Florida. Okay. Uh, I think Paul Jones made a comment that academics are a big deal for that kid. But still, you're starting to see some recruiting momentum. And is State going to be able to flip guys like a Javonta Walker, uh, Cameron Beavers, Jeff Rush, like those defensive linemen who were commitments to Ole Miss in the top five? I don't know. Um, I think they're going to make a push. Obviously, you'd love to be able to get Kamari and Franklin, but that's not going to happen. It just kind of seems that, those number one ranked players in the state of Mississippi just sort of naturally leave the big time, like the big time five stars, they go elsewhere. Um, but state's got some momentum. It looks like they got a chance to put together a solid class. And obviously you would love it to be a, a better than solid class because this is such a good year within the state of Mississippi. Um, just pulling it up real quick. You have the top prospects. Um, uh, 14, four stars in the state. Um, just uh, one of the one of the better years that you're going to have here in Mississippi. You want to be able to pick up more of those guys, but it does sound like things are shifting a little bit. So good momentum for the Bulldogs on the recruiting trail. Some national college football news that I don't think anyone is excited about. Um, it there's a potential roadblock uh, for the new college football video game. So obviously, a few years ago we had announced the game was going to be returning. It was supposed to release this summer. It got pushed back a year. More and more news comes out that makes it sound like things are trending positively for the game. Um, and then we, we get news recently that players will be, should they opt in, they will be compensated. Uh, they would where they get 500 bucks and I believe a copy of the game. Well, now you have some, uh, so, some guys trying to go against that. Uh, the College Football Players Association organized a, is organizing a boycott of the new video game. This was reported by, I believe, on three. Um, basically, some former players who are running this organization are kind of saying that that's a 500 bucks is a slap in the face, um, and you, the worth is so much more, and the guys deserve more than that, and players should not opt in to allow their likeness be offered in the game. Now, it was not a – I think they can. I think collective bargaining is one of the things they were looking at with this. I could be totally wrong here. Um, but it was basically like you get a bunch of these guys to agree and they sort of all get a cut of it was sort of the idea. Um, 
But now you've got guys saying that they deserve more than 500 bucks, which for a couple top players makes sense. For a lot of players, I think 500 bucks is more than you could really ask for realistically. And just the fact that you get to be in the game, the, the game's going to happen. It's not going to not be made, but it would be a real bummer if at this point we don't get the players in there. Yeah. And, and you know, it, like, like you said, and a lot of other people have said for so many of these athletes, right. Um, $500 is good. Right. And, and, you know, you could say, well, you know, a guy like Harold Perkins at LSU, when you, you go do dynasty mode or whatever, you know, and, and start that roster in that first year, right, you're going to tear it up with a guy like Harold Perkins. Um, or you play head-to-head, right, whatever they do, whatever modes they do have, right, tear it up with a guy like him. I mean, just rushing on the edge and getting after the quarterback at three sacks in a game. You know, he, he's going to want – a guy like him is going to want more. I understand that aspect, but at the same time, uh, are, are you going more for – uh, equity in this situation or quality because uh, there, there's a difference between those uh, two things and that that you know if you give more equity based on just what they um, have done or you just spread the wealth equally right you know just yeah, everybody gets 500 so that's a lot of money in the end that's a lot of money uh, and someone did a little bit of math on it like about how much the players get and just based on projected like copies sold uh, that's about as much as EA could do in that circumstance, because uh, that's so many people to give that kind of uh, uh, money to. So, yeah, it, it's tough to make a decision on it, but you're right. It'd suck if they just didn't have the players' names, you know, but that just means that's where uh, normal normal creators just create a roster and boom, share it with the, with the world on the web and download the roster with all the names on it because someone put the time and effort into it. Uh, well, so. so people keep bringing that up. I think I've seen, though, I could be wrong. I thought I, I've read that they have said like that will not be a feature in the new game specifically because of this issue, because that was part of the the argument, the old Ed O'Bannon case that caused this game to stop being made back after 2013 was that the idea of you can't argue that, you know, at the time, because, you know, that was when Johnny Manziel was at A&M. You can't tell me that quarterback number two for Texas A&M who, runs and you know can can run like hell and throw all over the place isn't Johnny Manziel it was like a nine I don't he wasn't it was like a 97 overall in the game like yeah it's it's Manziel so some people have said okay we'll just do completely generic rosters and just randomize everything and then you know you know the roster share but I think it's also been argued once again I I think this is like part of like the legal thing and if I'm completely spewing bs my bad but I think it's part of it that they've said, like, no, if you have that roster share feature, people are just going to put us in there. And, like, it's basically the, the whole point that they're still getting the opportunity to play with us. And, like, we're, we're not seeing anything for it. I've seen a lot of people say that if you can't get the players in, literally just do the generic rosters. Because the fact is, most of the people playing the game play for Dynasty. And when you're four years into your Dynasty, the players you're using are completely made up anyway. Um. So it's kind of like, you know, what does it really matter? Which I agree. I'm, I'm going to get the game regardless of what happens. Um, now, I, I did see Matt Brown of Extra Points, which is a newsletter that talks about this type of stuff in college football. I don't subscribe to him, so I, I didn't try, go and try to read what he what he wrote because I know I wouldn't have seen it. Um, but he he's done a lot of, like, the inside info on, like, giving updates. He's been sort of the guy breaking most of the news of, like, the features that are going to be in the game and talking with developers and stuff. 
I just saw him put out a tweet basically saying, I think some of these guys are going down the wrong road um, with like the, the players trying to go against this. Um, and from what I understand about him, he's not, I don't think he's the type of guy that's going to saying that from a place of like opposing player empowerment. Like, I think he's very much pro that he sort of, so I feel like if he's saying that there's, he's got a good reason that he's saying it also knowing what he knows. I don't know what his explanation is for any of that. I'm just telling you, that's what he put out on his Twitter. Um, I tend to think they'll get most of this sorted out, but that would be disappointing. Um, you did have a few Mississippi state players react saying like, dude, just give us the game. Like we, we just want to be able like Tulu saying he wants to play with Mississippi state. Cameron Richardson saying the same thing. Mike Wright being Mike Wright, uh, being very profound and then also pointing out that I don't care as long as my speed is accurate in the game. Um, <laughs> that's uh, glad to see you. And I think that's the mindset of most of these players. I genuinely think most of these guys are like, dude, give me a, just give me a copy of the game that I can play like that. And I'm in there. I think that's most of them want, but I understand some guys, you know, see the market sample. And so hopefully that gets sorted out. I think regardless, we're getting a game next year. Um. This was some interesting news that just broke earlier today, and I think started leaking out last night. Big Ten is unveiling their schedule format for 2024. Obviously, USC, UCLA joining that league. There was debates about what what is their schedule going to look like, and obviously this is happening at the same time as the SEC is figuring out what they're going to do. We talked about it last week. The SEC didn't come up with anything long-term. They they couldn't come to an official vote, and they are sticking with an eight-game schedule with just – they're just kind of piecing it together for next year where they're going to try to preserve the main rivalries, let everybody play who they're supposed to play. And then we'll visit this to determine if we're going to go to nine, determine what format we're going to select. Big 10 is unveil, uh, unveiling what they are calling a, uh, a flex model. Um, flex protect plus is the exact name for it. Basically what this comes down to is each big 10 team was able to get up to three permanent rivals. They they were able to like they listed it out, said who who are the teams you would like, and each of them got up to three. Not all of them got three. It basically well, the way they're handling this is essentially like we can't give you more than three, but if you have three legitimate rivals, we'll try to make it happen. If you only have one legitimate rival, you'll play them, and it varies from team by team. Um, and what is incredible about this is like last week, I don't know where that video audio is coming from. That's nice. I didn't hear anything. Okay. That was I, did it not come through on your side. I didn't hear it. it all right. Well, I mean, we're leaving up. all this in. I'm not editing this. I just had audio start playing on my side. So if that's in there, uh that was from an ad from Maroon White Nation, which by the way, Maroon White Nation under new leadership. Shout out to Ethan Lee. And we have a full team of writers over there now, uh, which is nice because we didn't before so if a lot of good things coming there you should go check us out even if the ads randomly start playing um but the, like this what, what's funny about this big 10 thing is like last week i tweeted something out like hey this is a dumb idea but maybe we should do this where we just do eight game schedule but everyone can just play whoever their rivals are every single year it doesn't matter if you only have one rival you'll just play the one if you have five rivals you'll play the five and we just make it work and I was like, I know logistically this isn't great for determining a conference champion and all that kind of stuff and scheduling balance. But that way, like, we sort of get the, the mix. You, everybody can play who they want. But we don't have to force permanent opponents for people who don't care about it. The Big Ten is doing that, actually. 
Um, they are officially protecting 11 rivalry games. And it's again, it's up to three for each team. These are the games that are protected. Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska, Iowa, Indiana, Purdue, Illinois, Purdue, Illinois, Northwestern, USC, UCLA, and Maryland, Rutgers. You notice I didn't say Penn State once. Penn State does not have a single protected rival in this, which I thought they would get Ohio. I thought they would put down Ohio State. I guess they're just not doing that, even because that is a rivalry. Um, but you you'll know like if USC and UCLA only one rivalry game each other. They're not trying to force because this was the whole thing when when everybody was assuming the three permanent rivals. It was like, all right, well, who on earth gets USC and UCLA as permanent opponents? They're not doing that. They're not forcing them into that. Um, you have a team like Iowa who, like, they have Minnesota, Nebraska, and Wisconsin that will play every single year. Uh, everyone else, though, they only have a uh, – like, they either have one, they have two, or they maybe even have none. And they're going to just rotate through the schedule. Now, the way they're going to do this is everyone is still going to get, like, three set opponents for the next two years. So it's your – Annual opponents plus some rotation. So, for example, uh, let me just look at uh, Penn State, Michigan State, USC, and Rutgers. They are going to play those teams the next two seasons. Like I mentioned, though, Penn State does not have an actual annual rival. Those are just games they're going to be playing. Um, USC will get Penn State, Wisconsin, and UCLA. So they're going to play UCLA every year, but they're giving them two other games. Basically what they're doing is they're giving you three semi-permanent opponents so that they can then use the, the rest of the flex scheduling to make it work. You get to play everybody over a two-year period. It's supposed to be set up to where you can't have more than two teams finish undefeated in the league. This kind of feels like a perfect format. I think the SEC should go for it. It looks good. You know, and then now we get into all the talk, right? you know, who are those three opponents that we talk about? And, I mean, we've had these discussions on this podcast before. It's good, and I noticed, right, you know, yeah, Iowa's on there three times. Um, Iowa-Wisconsin, hey, I'm going to that one this year. And, yeah, no, nah, it, it's, a, it's a good format, right? And, it, and it's a little confusing at first. I mean, it took me a little bit of time. When I say a little bit of time, I mean 10 minutes ago. I looked at it and I was like, what, you know, wasn't too sure what was going on. But looking at it, no, it's a fantastic uh, structure. And and I kind of feel bad that Penn State was a little bit left out. I think their game with Ohio State should be a protected rivalry. Yeah, real quick. Uh, I'm sorry, I'll interject there. Ohio State's only permanent was Michigan. That was the only – which I get it. That is their rival. But their other two games that they're going to get for the next two years because, again, they're making sure that every team has three opponents that they will play for each of the next two years, whether it be someone that they're going to play forever or just for the next two seasons. Illinois and Northwestern. Now, Illinois is the old – that's the old Illibuck trophy. That is an old rivalry. They used to play annually. That They haven't for a long time, though. Okay, fine. You could have given them Penn State instead of Northwestern. Um, I, like, I feel like Ohio State-Penn State should happen every single year. I think it's dumb that that's – that they didn't do that. But, look, ultimately they had to figure out a way to make it fit and, and, fit, and work, work together for everyone. This is still a better format than trying to force three permanents – on everyone if they don't actually have a rival. Like, we talked about it for the SEC, Mississippi State. The only game that matters is the Egg Bowl. There's no one else State has to play every single year. So why say that State has to play, okay, Kentucky, Texas A&M, or Auburn, or Alabama, by God, every single year, because it's going to be a permanent opponent. 
give us the one and then rotate through everybody else. Yeah, and, and it makes sense, right? You have those rivalries that you have to play every year, and and you're and I think we talked about this last week, right? And you're if you go nine game and you do one and rotate between all the others, or is it you play two, rotate the other seven, right? So the SECs, the two formats that they were exploring were eight game, one permanent, seven rotating, nine game, three permanent, six rotating. Um. The Big Ten is kind of taking that 3-6 model and adjusting it to where not every team has three permanent, but they have up to three semi-permanent for the next two years so that they can make it work, that you can play everybody in a two-year period. And in 2026, they'll revisit it, and like those games that were not the official permanents, they'll replace them with somebody else. And it'll be like every two years they do that with those teams. Now, like I mentioned Iowa already has three opponents set. Those are just going to be the three teams that they play every single year. And they're not going to be given anyone extra as an annual team. And look, it does mean that not everybody is scheduled exactly the same way on a year by year basis. Not everybody sees the whole rotation. Well, everybody sees everyone at least once in a two year period. Um, I believe that's supposed to be right, but it might mess it up. Like you might have to play on the road at a certain team two years in a row. Like, just randomly, like, I don't know, Iowa might have to go out to L.A. for USC two seasons in a row instead of it being one-year L.A., one-year Iowa City, just because of the way it works together. But I think it's a good format. I think the SEC should adopt it. Yeah, it's a good start. Like I said, it, yeah. So, I like it. I'm down with it. Let's do it. Yeah, I think this should be something the SEC considers as another option going into the next season. Like, again, if you're a team like Alabama, I know they were shying away from trying to play these three, but, like, you can give Alabama, Tennessee, Auburn, and LSU every single year while a team like Vanderbilt, who do they need to play? Like, Tennessee, that's the only team that they they, they would have as a permanent. Or uh, – Even like then, I don't, I don't think you'd give them as a permanent opponent. I, maybe. So, had it been the 1-7 model, it was Tennessee, Vanderbilt were going to be permanent opponents. So if they only if you and I so I would imagine if it was three three six Vandy Tennessee because they want to keep the in-state games. Um, that's I guess that's fair. Like, but, Tennessee doesn't care about that game other than going and just going to Nashville, which I mean they have plenty of fans in Nashville as it is, but still they want to keep those games together. But like if you're Ole Miss, you could get uh, Mississippi State and LSU, and those are like your two. You don't have to have three. We'll give you someone else as a third that you do on a two-year period, but we don't do it full-time. I really like this. I think it's unique. I think it's a smart thing to go for. I hope the SEC considers this going into next season. All right. We do have a topic that we're going to spend a little bit of time on here today. Uh, another one of those fun things. Last week, we did our SEC power rankings. Um, that, that was fun to talk about today. The top five. Most important games for Mississippi State in the 2023 season. Uh, once again, we have both compiled our own list. I have not seen what Dan has said. Uh, we're, of course, we're going to start from least important to most important here. Uh, and I'll turn it over to Dan because, look, hey, this, this is a we've talked about this season a lot. There's some people have high expectations, some people are a little bit more cautious. There's a lot of questions, but you, you do want to set a baseline for what the program will be under Zach Arnett. These are the games we think are the most important to making that happen. So, 
your what is your number five most important game for MSU this season? This one is number five. It could rise uh, once the season gets started, uh, just because you never know. State has to do good, and the opponent has to do not as good. Alabama. The reason why is it's a home game, right? You have Alabama at home. And is this the first time in a really long time, it feels like, that Alabama's not picked first in the preseason West standings? So That's not official yet. We'll see at SEC Media Days. Well, I know Athlon still the, took Alabama number one in their predictions. are predicting LSU to finish first in that Alabama. I, by fans, I mean us. That's why I'm riding with this one. I do not have Alabama in my top five. Um, I obviously understand the importance of you get the game at home. It's fairly early in the season. You want a chance to pull off an upset. Um, but I think in terms of Mississippi State, I'm looking at, you know, in terms of setting the tone for the program, like, yeah, like if you do something special there, that changes things. But also if State gets blown out, I'm just going to be kind of like, okay, like that's just what we do. On to the next, yeah. <laughs> it's not an indictment of Zach Arnett necessarily. Like, okay. Um, My number five is one I don't think people would think of because I think most people have this as a game that State's just going to easily win. I have Arizona. That was my other option, number five. We were so close to being the same one. So the reason I say this, I still think Mississippi State is a much better team than Arizona. Um, Defensively, their roster is pretty bad. Now, they do have a lot of transfers there. Like, they were horrendous defensively last year. We saw a lot of that in that game. Um, and that look that was the case for Arizona the entirety of last season. They've they got some transfers to try to fix that. But their offense is good. Jaden Delore is a good quarterback. They have Jacob Cowing as a big time receiver. Their running backs are all back. I think they got experience on the offensive line. They're all and like I think Jed Fish is a good play caller. Like they're gonna be able to score some points. And MSU, I think MSU's defensive front, I expect to be really good again, but we do have some questions on the back end. And I think Zona's gonna be able to throw the football a little bit next season. Obviously, you hope if you're state, you just kind of overwhelm them with pass rush and you can handle it. I don't need to go into actual X's and O's here. Sorry. Um, but the reason I just have this game circled, it's your second game of the season. It's a power five opponent coming to town. And you got LSU the next week. You're, we talked about this. Is, uh, you do get a night game. I was about to call it 11 a.m. kickoff. But you, you need to pick up a win here. And the other thing I'm pulling out is MSU, when they take a loss in the non-conference, the seasons have not been great. Um, starting with like the Mullen era, they lost in the non con 2009. A couple games, they went five and seven. Uh, 2013, started the year losing to Oklahoma State. They went six and six. I'll just do regular season record. Um, 2016, they lost to South Alabama and BYU. They went five and seven. Um, 2019, you lost to K State. I think it was. Week two, like week three of the season, mm-hmm. you went six and six, and then obviously leeches twenty twenty one. You uh, you lose to Memphis and you go seven and five. Now seven and five, you know it, it is what it is. You, you you had a chance there and you played better late down the stretch, but not the type of year fans fans want more than seven and five. And like I think that'd be a typically normal year for state, but like the track record's not great for MSU when they have a season like that. And I think every single year we go into those games expecting Mississippi State to win. And you want to talk about you have eight home games this year and you want to capitalize. You can't slip up against a team like Arizona early in the season. 
you need to show that you still have a big advantage there. So that's why it's number five for me. I know a lot of people are going to put them towards like, oh, that's one of the games I'm most confident in winning. Maybe, but I think Zona's going to be feisty, and I think it's still very important. Who do you got as your number four? The Kentucky game. Uh, big home one. Kentucky's good. I mean, uh, we talked about it last week. We have, we have them kind of high on our uh, our power rankings, and they both have them in the top five for good reason. I think they're. I think we both had them at number five. I mean, yeah. it's Kentucky. Like, not you supposed to be good. Stoops got him good, uh, and he's still got another good quarterback. Look, like Will Levis was a good quarterback. He was good. Uh, as is, I'm already forgetting Devin Leary. Devin Leary's still a good quarterback. Um, right? They don't. They don't have Chris Rodriguez anymore, which yeah is going to be helpful. You never know if they have another big running back pop out of the scene. They've done that before. Got a good uh, transfer out of Vanderbilt at the tailback. Yeah, so, but, you know, you, you just hope that the trend continues for at least one more year with the home team winning this game, and then you end it later on. But, like, just continue it for one more year, right? It's a big deal winning this game. Winning that game was a huge momentum shifter in 2021, it felt like, right? Like, you just manhandled the top 15 team in the country. Uh, couldn't quite finish strong, right? That that was a, a bit of a strange year that season, but – uh, you know, you went into this year thinking, oh, we're going to dominate. No, we don't. So, yeah, I'm riding Kentucky number four only because it's a home game. It, it's a away game. It'd probably be like number two, maybe even number one. Uh, I had Kentucky number three. So, a lot of the same things you said. That game has been vital to the season pretty much every single year. And it's kind of been one of the, those cases. Like, I know this year you went nine and four while losing it. Like, you still had a, a, a good year by most standards, uh, but really pretty much every standard for Mississippi State. I know that was a game people left disappointed. You felt like you, you shouldn't have lost it, but still. That, but that's kind of the only time. Typically when State has lost that game, it's been a, a season that has been a bit of a struggle. And you can't let this be the year that you don't get that, let that be a win at home. Um, because, again, I think that's one of those toss-ups. You got That has to stay in the win column if you want this to be a good year. You get the game at Starkville, you better win especially because you have some of these other toss-ups on the road, including the one I'm going to talk about here in just a second, for my number four. Like, I, those games are going to be tougher to capitalize on. You better win those games at home when you get the opportunity. My number four was Arkansas. And I could have gone a few different ways here. Um, I think, really, that group of Arkansas, Auburn, and A&M, you can kind of throw them together. Um, because, obviously, A&M's a team state has had their number. You have, But they also have very high potential. It's at Kyle Field. Auburn, we really have no idea, but I know that's a very tough place to play, and I also expect Hugh Freeze is going to take that game very personally. I'm choosing Arkansas here just because that's the team. It's one of the teams I have some of the least confidence in in the SEC this coming season. We talked about that a lot of the, the, the episode before where they just lost a lot on both sides of the ball. They are replacing their two coordinators, and I have questions about the direction of that program. Also, where it comes in the schedule, if you're a state, you get them uh, – Look, sorry, I was looking in the wrong place. You get Arkansas coming off a bye. You're you're coming out of a bye uh, after your you you, uh, you play. You have that crazy stretch with LSU, South Carolina, Alabama. Then you get Western Michigan bye week at Arkansas. I think it's important for State to come out of that bye, go on the road, and pick up a good win there against the Hogs because then you got a, a stretch of Auburn, Kentucky, A and M, Southern Miss, Ole Miss to close it out. That a lot of toss-ups there, but no guaranteed wins besides, you know, probably Southern Miss. 
I think it's important for State to pick up some momentum there, and I think it's a game they need to get. Uh, who do you have as your number three? Number three, I have the Texas A&M Aggies. Uh, so you're talking about that stretch of three. Look, we're, we're two and three at Kyle Field since A&M joined the SEC. It was two and three. Uh, yeah, Davis Wade, you have a much better record. Um, right, you only lost, I think you're three and two. Yeah, three and two. And Starkville and Davis Wade, uh, much better there. But A&M still, they're good. They're just a good team. Are they going to be well coached is the question. Uh, I, I think they could be. And and if you allow Trina to make the play calls there, then, yeah, I think they're going to do really well. And that's uh, going to be a huge road test there, huge road test, right? The, the two times that we're able to get uh, wins at Kyle Field since they've been in the SEC, they had a little bit of down years. I mean, they've always been kind of mid-level, right? But but 2017, you know, they weren't they weren't all that great. That was when Kevin Sumlin got fired. And, and in 2021, you know, AM sold their soul to get that win at Alabama. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it kind of just know that that it's still going to be a tough game to, to go against. Yeah, look, it's certainly an important game. Um, that's right there at the end of that stretch, like I talked about, that you get you get after the bye at Arkansas, at Auburn, Kentucky, at Texas A&M before you get the little break with, with Southern Miss. Um, you want to close out on a strong note there, especially with what you have, you know, with the rivalry to close it out with, uh, with Ole Miss. A&M's a game that, again, we don't really know, but that's it's, it's been beneficial for State when they've been able to win that game. It sort of has boosted a lot of these seasons into being better years when they found a way to get the Aggies. And unlike I mentioned, Kentucky was my number three. All right, for your number two. Number two, I have the Gamecocks of South Carolina. Big road game that you have an opportunity to win. Uh, and really, when you look at it, I mean, you have the opportunity to win every road game this year. It's when the schedule, you know, you have them and LSU at home. So, therefore, you do have an opportunity to win every game on your road schedule. But the opportunity, you don't always – you don't do it, right? Uh, uh, that, that's the hard part about it. But uh, Gamecocks are a good team, uh, well coached, and they, they, have a, they have a lot of momentum at the end of last year, right? And maybe you're lucky you catch them early season – they don't have all that momentum, but but the way they finished last year with just beatdowns of Tennessee and Clemson and nearly sneaking off that that win against Notre Dame, uh, it's it's a big, big opponent. Um, and obviously, South Carolina is looking at this game as a win. Uh, that That's the big deal about it, right? South Carolina is looking at the schedule and saying, hey, that's a win. Don't worry about it, right? And it's their home stadium. Why, why, why do they have reason to doubt, Right. Uh, so yeah, that's who I got at, at, at number two. I'm sure, Andrew, you've got uh, the same number two as well. Uh, no, actually, it's Southern Miss. Oh. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, all ten of their fans are going to be packing it out in their visitor section in Davis Wade. Um, you know, it's going to be so big for them obviously because they're going to win the national championship in baseball, clearly, um, that they're going to feel like they need to continue that momentum into Starkville. No. Uh, uh, no, I have South Carolina. I agree. And, look, um, the big thing for me is where this game is in the schedule. It's September sandwiched between home games with LSU and Bama, which is kind of a horrible spot to have it. 
Not that I necessarily think it will be that much of a letdown opportunity for State. I think State's smart enough to recognize road game, team that's been to a bowl the last couple seasons. Like, we can't just assume a win, but you know there's just going to be a different attention put on those other two opponents, just, like, naturally, because it's home games against the teams that you have circled. And that game is important for State being able to have the type of year they want to have. And I think part of it is, is like, I could see State having a good season where they still lost to South Carolina. The problem is that if you start the year two and three, how do you bounce back from it? Um, I'm not saying, like, doomsday, you're definitely going to be terrible. Like, um, you know, I think – 2015 might have had a slower start like that or something like that. I can't remember for sure. Um, I you know w- whatever. I know 2013. I know 2013 had a slow start. I don't know about 2015. Um, but you know, those are that's an op- that's a game you kind of need to have. It's very much the, the swing game on the schedule, particularly because of where it is in the schedule, particularly where it lines up. And I'm not a big believer in the Gamecocks this year. But that's kind of been, hey, I've not been a believer in them really year by year, and they kind of just keep winning despite what I think of them. B, I still recognize that's a very difficult place to play. So a very, very important game. I think pretty much everybody knows who our number one is. Well, actually, I had something miss at number one. I don't know who you're talking about. Uh, yeah, the real rival. That's, that's... <laughs> a real in-state real rival. Uh, yeah, number one, home egg bowl. I mean, need I say more? I don't know, like – that's all I'm going to say. It's the whole main point. So go ahead. That's all I got to say. Well, yeah. And we've talked about the home team is like two and six in the last eight egg bowls. Uh, if the math is right on there, I know I've run through that a few times. Like that's a game for your state. We know how important that is for the schedule. And like, I don't, I don't like boiling everything down to that one game. I think it plays right into the whole dumb narrative about obsession and stuff. And I think you should be able to recognize, yeah, you can't have a good season if you do lose the game. But um, it is important, and it's generally pretty key in state having the type of year you want. And I also think you're wondering, Zach Arnett, you want to build some momentum. I think what might have the biggest impact on this game is we talk, started off the show talking about recruiting. And I'm not the biggest one on the whole, you know, you win a game, so therefore you're going to get a player type thing like a lot of recruits don't necessarily care as much about the actual results as they do just the vision for the program but it certainly helps if you can say like hey yeah we did just go through a tragedy we do have a new first-time head coach but we just beat them for the second year in the row like clearly we have something figured out here where on the other side if you're Ole Miss you if you win that game you're like Lane is three and one and against them and the one time they lost it was a game in the rain kind of fluky there was all that controversy about you know a lot of off-field distractions we should have won that game that's the way they can spin it that's the way they can they can point to that like if you're if you're a player in the state like the whole idea is very clear which program you should actually be going to so I think it's a very important game for MSU if you build the program going forward like you need to find a way to win the egg bowl and obviously like yeah just it's always going to be important it's always going to be the number one it just is but I do think similarly to last year where it was going to be so crucial for Leach to show that he can win that game. Um, I think this year, because you're starting fresh and because it's a pivotal year for recruiting in the state, it has kind of an added impact once again. Yeah. And it's always the, uh, the, the bragging rights, right. Who gets to hold that trophy, right. It's always, 
you just feel better whenever you you know things aren't going well on campus like well at least the golden egg trophy is is uh, on campus right yeah at least that's how i feel right you know baseball yeah. and softball sucked this year i'll no other way around it they sucked well at least the uh golden egg was still sitting at uh at mississippi state university this year right uh it's always good throughout the whole season the football season until that last game you know hopefully comes right back uh but a trophy's uh sitting in there so that that's always just a, a good feeling to have just to be able to say that's rely on and you're right i just matthew right it's two and six in the last eight for the home team uh the lone exceptions being back-to-back years of 2019 and 2020 so that's a crazy crazy time for uh for, for road teams, you know, but let's hope that streak, hope to keep the Kentucky streak going for one more year. I hope to keep the, the end, end the, uh, the away streak for the Egg Bowl for one year. But regardless, right, it is always going to be the most important game on the schedule because it, it, your final send off, right, before you get, hopefully go to a bowl game. And thankfully for the last 13 years, been able to say that. 2020 was weird. I guess it wasn't the last game of the year, but regardless, uh, it, it's your last game before you go go to your bowl game, hopefully. And some some cases, it's been when you clinched your bowl game. Uh, so, yeah, I like it. I I like the game. Drives all our heart rates up, but we love it, don't we? Yeah, and you you talk about you know kind of last game. That's probably gonna be, that's gonna be the last game for a lot of Bulldogs. I know it's the case every year, but like think about the guys who have been the key players in these teams the last few seasons. Like, I know a lot of them have an extra year of eligibility left because of COVID, but I would expect this is probably it for Will. You know it's it. For those guys who chose to come back on defense, that's it for them. Um, You look at a player like Tulu, if he has a big season where, you know, he's the feature role player, does he move on elsewhere? Um, What does a guy like a Jaden Wally do? Uh, What does a guy like – Sorry, I'm blank. Woody Marks do. Like, I think you're, the offensive line is pretty veteran late. Like, State's got a lot of guys who could move on after this season. You definitely want them to end their careers with a win in the Egg Bowl at home and also to get that thing back even, considering that a lot of them right now are still, you know, they got the win last year, but they're still one and two in that game. You, you want to pull that back to even. So, yeah, it, it's always important, but I do think there's, you can find a reason it's a big, a bigger deal this season. If state can get that, I think that's good signs for the program going forward. So just to recap our top fives, uh, I had number one, Ole Miss, number two, South Carolina, three, Kentucky, four, Arkansas, five, Arizona. Dan had one Ole Miss, two, South Carolina, three, Texas A&M. Yeah. Four. Who was that? Four Kentucky and then five Alabama. Um, This is top five. So, couple different opinions in there. It's good to get some discussion about a few different games. But, again, we have said it time and time again, this is a year where a lot of questions about the program that you want to get try to get answered. So, hopefully State has a good record in those games. I think if you have a – you get out of that with like a 4-1 and one type record or, you know, 3-2, and two, whatever, you've had a pretty good year. Um, so, obviously, we'll have more football content in the coming weeks if any news breaks. Oh, actually, uh, next week the SEC schedule for 2024 should be out. So we will know Mississippi State's opponents for that season. We'll be we will be able to react uh, to who the Bulldogs are. Give our predictions a year in advance too. Yeah, of course. Uh, like that, that, that's that's certainly going to be fun to do. I don't know if they're going to set dates to games. Uh, they might. I know they're going to be at the, like announcing opponents at the very least. 
Um, but that, that'll be something we'll be able to talk about next week and probably maybe have a pitching coach to react to. So uh, more news. And if there's not much else help happening, then we'll come up with another. I told Dan, like, next few weeks we might be doing a few things like what we did like the last few weeks of power rankings, top five most important games. Maybe we come up with some sort of draft to do just typical off-season type content as we get ready for the year before we start getting really deep into previews. That's going to do it for us today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Dan, for hopping on. As always, swing your sword. Hail State.